Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Liz Boswell from Waste360 with Michael Hoffman from Stiefel. Welcome, Michael, and thanks for being on the show again. Yeah, hi, Liz, and thanks for having me. I know you and I have have spoken before, but could you please uh, remind the audience about your background in waste and recycling? Sure. So I work in Wall Street. I'm known as a a subject matter expert in environmental services. I also cover pest control and especially distribution. But I'm a sell-side analyst is the phrase. So if you're listening to business news, they talk about it. And and so the analysts are saying, I'm one of those voices related to environmental services, which includes solid waste, industrial waste, medical waste um, within our coverage. I've been doing it for since 1987. Um, and have always covered this space. used to be called pollution control. Now it's called environmental services and, and then have added broadly lots of things around industrials. And I also am the group head of the industrial, diversified industrial coverage at Stiefel with a team of five other analysts well covering other spaces. Great. Thank you for that. And then I'm going to dive right in. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the recent administration change and how you think it might affect the industry. So the... Coming into the election, the, what we were watching for is would there be a blue wave or not? And, and the, the thought of a blue wave was, was there going to be enough control of Congress that the administration could affect its policy, legislative and policy initiatives pretty much unencumbered? It didn't really matter what the opposition was going to say or do. And that didn't actually play itself out in the end. It's, I would define it more as a blue ripple. Uh, this is my view. Why? Because the Senate split 50-50. The House actually narrowed the majority. It's at the, one of the narrowest points of the majority in decades. And between both sides of Congress, there are enough moderate, fiscal moderate Democrats who I don't believe will support radical tax initiatives or super radical climate initiatives. So the Green New Deal I don't think happens, or you know, capital gains taxes don't go from the low 20s into the low 40s, which is what the campaign ran on. Um, and, and if that doesn't happen, then you don't get real upheavals in the business model, the broad-based business model of the U.S. economy. And if you, if you did take capital gains from the low 20s into the 40s, you know, I would suggest you could see one of the greatest transfers of family wealth in the history of this country because all of these family-owned businesses are taxed personal basis for the most part, and capital gains is a big deal. And if you radically change it that much, the value of which they sell their business has to go up proportionally to be able to have the same after-tax proceeds and the likelihood you'd get that kind of value appreciation is low, so you'd see this race to get your company sold 
before the tax change effect came into effect, and we don't see that happening at this point. I think from a standpoint of principles that are going to underline action, climate, right at the top of the list, but it's clear, environmental justice, and so how does that impact our industry? And, and candidly, I, I think the climate changes that are coming in direction, so going back into Paris or slowing down development of upstream energy exploration on federal lands um, or you know, stopping the Keystone Pipeline, no, none of those are going to have particularly meaningful influences to the solid waste industry. Um, I, I think even actions around focusing on specific components of greenhouse gases. You know, solid waste was an early and meaningful adopter of alternative fueled vehicles. You know, over almost 30% of the whole fleet, not just the public traders, but the whole fleet is CNG. Well, it's a much cleaner admission than diesel. So they're well down a path of embracing reducing greenhouse, greenhouse gases. I think incremental changes around things like PFAS, Will we get a federal MCO? Sure. We were going to get one, whether it was Trump or Biden. It's just the when, and I don't think it's going to happen particularly faster. Uh, so not likely in 21, it, by the time all of the mechanics of this have to happen. But we'll get one. Will it be, how, how low will it be will, is what matters. It's likely to be less than the 70 parts per trillion that was proposed by the Trump EPA back in 20. 19 and 2020, um, but I don't think it goes below 50, in my opinion. So it sets a bar. I think the bigger issue on PFAS will be at the state level, which is less to do with the Biden administration and the definition of who is a generator. And there's some movement in some states about that, and it's early days. Garbage is early in this process. And what they have to avoid is being defined a generator because they're not, but they can't allow the definition to be so loose that they get swept up in it because leachate concentrates PFAS, even if it's at low levels, like compared to what's in publicly owned treatment, sewage sludge, wastewater treatment systems. Uh, and then environmental justice will be interesting mostly because it's about the definition. It's not, uh, solid waste is perfectly happy to address environmental justice in a permitting process and whether they're expanding the capacity or siting new, uh, there's, no, they, there's no resistance by the industry about that. What they need is a clear understanding of what the definition is so that they, they can then come at it with good data and analysis and, and have effective dialogue. And that doesn't exist at the moment. At, neither at the federal level or individually at the states. And the risk, in our view, is you get too general of a definition, and this isn't really then about environmental justice anymore. It's a tool in which can be used to thwart growth, uh, unfortunately. And, and we have to avoid that in the process. Um, but those are, I think, the patterns that are playing themselves out. And, you know, say 2021, very little influence on the industry directly you know, as a term works its way out, by the middle of the term, you'll start to see these sort of knocking on into the, con having knock-on consequences into an economy and growth rates and the like. But so far, it's 
too early to tell what that's going to look like. Oh, that's that's great insight right there. Thank you. So what about the outlook for M&A? Well, so we believe M&A reverts back to what I'm, I'm going to use the term normal course. What's that mean? So from 20, 2000 to 2016, so pre-tax reform that was done in the prior administration, um, other than some obvious examples, uh, the pace of M&A pretty much, or the industry consolidation, if you will, kept kind of pace with the underlying organic growth of the industry, 1% to 3%. And what do I mean by that? So the, the rate of change of the buyer's growth of sales. So if there's, you know, they had $100 million of revenues, they're buying at 1% to 3%, you're buying $1 to $3 million, right? And that was sort of the underlying pace of the organic growth of the industry. And, and over that 15-ish year period, it's pretty much what you saw was that consolidation kind of absorbed the organic growth with some obvious exceptions of the public buying allied and connections buying progressive. Um, tax reform comes and it comes at a time when we're eight, nine years into a business cycle. You've clearly lowered personal tax rates. Uh, you've lowered capital gains and you saw this acceleration. And, and our view is that known sellers who principally have one I call the five Ds, and it leads with descendants, and then behind it are, it accelerates the pace of this is death, divorce, disability, or disease. So that you have your known, you don't have a succession issue or a succession opportunity. You're going to sell the business, and you pulled it forward because tax reform lowered capital gains, and you're sitting at nine years into a business cycle. You know, statistically, business cycles last seven years, so you're long in the tooth in the business cycle going, you know, when the next cycle happens, you know, do, I, I, you likely you're going to get multiple compression and, you know, I'm going to have a reduced level of profitability. So how, what do I get to sell the business for? I know I'm going to sell it. So you, you do it early. And that's, you saw above average M&A 17, 18, 19. And theoretically we're going to in 20 and then the pandemic gets in the way. I think now we've had our cycle, business cycle, and we've not recovered a pre pandemic levels of profitability yet. We're close, but not there yet. And so I think we settle into a more normal course. And then there's some obvious reasons. You know, waste management is probably out of the big M&A game of any, anything meaningful beyond tuck-ins because they've got to absorb advanced disposal. Um, even GFL, I don't think, is doing big chunks because they've got to absorb advanced and WCA. They'll do tuck-ins. So lots of tuck-ins. That's what I think happens. Um, the exception might be Republic because they've got Santec still waiting to be closed and their pipeline was pretty full coming into 20 and then you know, not a lot of it got closed, so they may end up with a chunkier year. But I think all in all, the, years, the industry is going to see sort of more normal course back to the underlying organic growth will be the consolidation pace. That makes sense. That's a great way to look at it, too. And I know another round of earning calls are coming up, and I read your reports, and, um, you know, garbage is good, and the industry has been resilient as we get through this, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. What are you expecting this time with these calls? So the fourth quarter results are going to be good. Uh, and what's interesting is the stock market, if I take it from a stock market perspective, they're treating the industry as if it's about to enter into a slowing of 
or even some compression of sales and profits. The garbage has been viewed and is, and is, I'm not disputing this or debating it, is deemed defensive. What is the definition of that in this case? Is, is highly recurring, repeatable revenues and profitability that aren't sensitive to the cycle as it's unfolding until way late in the business cycle. So for garbage, typically it's the commercial and industrial CNI collection piece way, way late into an economic downturn, eventually that customer base may raise its hand and say, hey, the five-day, eight-yard service, you're going to do a service interval downgrade. It's a, you know, your five-day, eight-day, eight-yard service turns into a five-day, six-yard service. And you know, when that happens, you reduce revenues and it reduces profit. That's the defensive aspect of garbage. What's been happening in the stock market since about September is the strategists in the market have been saying you should be rotating out of defensive stocks into cyclicals because you're going to see this price and volume recovery in cyclicals and defenses haven't yet or are just starting this pattern I just described. We're not just changing our view that garbage is defensive. It is. It's just the pattern described happened in May, June, July. It already happened. And what garbage is actually experiencing right now, I would categorize as what looks like new business formation. Even if it's an existing customer that was on a service on hold is being turned back on, from an accounting standpoint, when you turned it off, that looked like a cancel. And when they call up and say, okay, I'm allowed to be open, and you turn it back on, that looks like new business formation. And you're doing it on a leaner cost structure because garbage proved to be very nimble, lowering cost as a result of the pandemic impact. And so the incremental is better. And hence, I think the fourth quarter will surprise the market. And the driver here will be commercial industrial volume will be less negative than it perceived. And as a result, they'll be more profitable, generate more free cash. Wouldn't be surprised that several of the companies prepaid the CARES Act because the cash was that good or pre-bent capital spending, so they pulled forward capital spending into 2020 to continue to drive productivity, uh, asset, better asset utilization, and support some of the growth that was occurring. And, and, and then you have really, really robust housing cycle. Remember, there's this long-term relationship between household formation and new business formation. You build enough houses, we need a dry cleaner or a quick mart or, you know, a coffee shop. And no, maybe we're not going to be building schools and office buildings yet because the pandemic's still disrupting all that. But what about the empty storefront? And the entrepreneur sees that empty storefront and has had this vision to open a business. You open the business, you put a two, four, six, eight-yard container behind it, that's new business growth. And it comes on really good incrementals. So I think the pattern in 21 will be good, healthy pricing, 2 to 4%, and positive volumes of 1% to 2%, and M&A will be the upside surprise. And the stock market will sit up and go, well, I didn't expect that, and watch the group start to rally again, as it has often done on four quarter, fourth quarter results going into that, that coming year. 
Oh, that's great to hear. Okay, fingers crossed. We'll be watching. <laughs> and then you've been doing a top 10 industry trends list for years now. And could you please talk about that and, and what made this year's list a little bit different? Because I know it was. So about six years ago, I think it was six, seven years ago, I, um, I, this was not a unique idea on my part. I forget what I was reading, but there was some interesting top 10 kind of call out. And I thought, oh, I should think about that in solid ways and started putting down on a list what I thought would be influencers and, and have time being wide enough that the influences could be practically seen as possible uh, and have every year published an update to it. And, and the list, garbage is evolutionary. It's not revolutionary. So the list has been pretty consistent with subtle changes in it. This year, it saw the biggest turnover in the list. Uh, so there were half the items were pretty much the same over and over again, sort of four absolutely, and then, and then the recycling one I, I've, it has been in and off the list often enough to, to you know, be repeatable but not quite been there every time, as has some conversation around uh, technology uh, but we had four new outright additions, um, you know, the influence of work from home, um, the, you know, is there another round of consolidation? Like I, you know, there's a peer of mine thinks there's going to be some big massive round of consolidation in 21, and I don't see that. One, I don't think the big four are going to be allowed to consolidate into each other. But you do have Levanta with a publicly announced strategic review going on, and at some point, it, you know, does Casella have to, or should it contemplate a sale for no other reason than, you know, a billion dollars of revenues doesn't come about very often, and so will it be a way to maximize shareholder value on a sustained basis because uh, as a sale? And that's the consolidation I think could happen over the next 10 years. So, you know, my phrase was, and then there was four, meaning it's you're left with just waste management, waste connections, Republican, GFL, PFAS is an issue that's not going away, but we think solid waste will be part of the solution. And then ESG and sustainability is here to stay. And the industry has actually been very good about issues around the S and the G for years and has realized it needs to be much better at disclosing what it's done in the E um, and is starting to do so. And, and with that, you're seeing in their corporate sustainability reports, often referred to as, to as CSRs, that each year they're starting to add more quantifiable data and put goals and timelines in all three categories of the E, the S, and the G. But in particular for them, they need to draw out things that they're doing part of their corporate strategy and day-to-day -day operations and close it better and then establish baselines of which they can show improvement. Those, those are the four you know, big changes in the model. Things that have been there for a while, alternative fuel vehicles or the rate of solid waste generation or our belief that organics diversion is not happening until somebody effectively defines and develops technology that not only works, but you can scale it and doesn't require a subsidy to work, which so far nobody has figured that out yet. 
I, I love this list and, and watching it each year. And, and like you said, they, so this year was the biggest difference. So very interesting to see. And I also loved uh, the Investor Summit, um, how you really did ask uh, all of the companies about their ESG and sustainability goals. And, you know, you talked a little bit about how they're all focusing. I, I think a common theme in that was like you said, they have to focus more on the E part and actually communicating that. It wasn't that they weren't actually doing it. They just needed to either communicate it better or to your point, maybe get better data and communicate that data better um, to show what it is they're doing. Um, Do you see any other challenges or opportunities around this for the industry since it is so unique? So first, I think this is not a fad. I think this is here to stay uh, within the investment world for sure, but I think it becomes part of the walking, talking dialogue uh, as citizens. And that's not to say we're all going to wake up and somehow become pre-hugging mindset. And I don't want to get imploded with emails from the tree-hugging world. I just mean, I don't think there's some radical shift more that than it is. We all are going to talk about this more often. And and that's the important part of it is the garbage industry has been doing things that are very beneficial to human health and the environment for decades and never talk about it. And they have to learn how to talk about it. And, and there's no particular reason they haven't. Uh, it's never, I think, really occurred to them they should, uh, public or private, because I, you know, every, every garbage company has a permitting issue at some point. If you have a transfer station, you have a depot, you have a permitting issue. And so whether you're public or private, you you should figure out how to talk about this. And that's what the intent was last summer when we brought this up at the Investor Summit was, as you appreciate, was the, the audience is diverse. It's my community of investors and in private equity, but it's also Waste360's client base as well. And so there's this mingled audience of service providers and equipment vendors and suppliers and and finance and everybody needed to hear in our our view that this needed to be part of your daily dialogue and by the way we think you're already doing all of these things strategically anyway you just have to figure out how to measure it so that you can have a data set that you can disclose that's uh, defensible so you know, it can't be questioned and challenged. So it's got to be good quality data, just like your financials, and then share it. And that was what we were trying to draw out: is how much was already being done. You've heard me talk about this before. I mean, the solid waste industry has been selling baseload power into the grid for nearly 25 years. What is it? It's landfill gas. It's renewable energy. Uh, it's well, there are only two, well, outside of hydroelectric, there are two forms of renewable energy coming in out of the garbage industry. The waste energy side, which is burning trash and making electricity, and then landfill gas. Solar and wind are sold as peaking power. They're not sold as base load. Even to this day, you can't rely on that the wind will blow when you want it and the sun will shine, and until we figure out bulk energy storage, you can't be relied on as base load power. And the definition here is base load means you're part of the guarantee of the baseline that it will always be there. That's your commitment. And we've been doing that in the solid industry, waste industry, as I said, for 25 years. And the technology has only gotten better as they've been able to 
the gas off and improve it. So that, that's what I think the industry had to talk about. I mentioned earlier, you know, alternative fuel vehicles, 30% of the fleet CNG. It's the largest vocational fleet converted. The only other group that's bigger is municipal buses. When battery electric vehicle or battery electric vehicle in combination of fuel cell becomes commercially viable, right there yet, but we're getting there. Garbage will openly embrace it. I, you know, one of our top tens and ten is that we think some combination of those CNG, BEV, fuel cell will mean that 50% of the fleet operating, which is about 115,000 vehicles today, will be an alternative fuel, not diesel. Garbage should talk about this. So that's, that's what we were trying to draw out, and it's I think it's part of our day-to-day dialogues anymore. I I, I know lots of people who are come from all walks of life, from socioeconomic, political, who look at labels now and try and really understand or really are beginning to appreciate what's diversion versus really recycling. So recycling being true reuse or diversion being doesn't go to something first, which is how recycling is usually defined in most cases. And you're seeing behavior changes. And it'll be the consumer who ultimately leads to, are we going to fix this packaging issue? And the consumer is going to drive that. And, and packaging companies will respond because you'll stop buying things and it'll because it's a multi-layered packaging material or it's not a recyclable material. And that's, that's if the garbage industry talks about it and is seen as part of the solution, that's only good for them. And they are part of the solution. Absolutely. And I love how you're helping them realize that and that they need to talk about it. And that's amazing, the 50% alternative fuel vehicles, that if we can hit that, that's remarkable. Well, and we're at 30, so it's, and we did the 30 in probably the best 10 years. I mean, maybe it's been over 15, but certainly the last 10 years. So I can't add another 20 points in another 10 years. Now, we do need... Battery electric vehicles, you've got to get the cost down. We have to be assured that the hours of service really can be 12 hours. Um, you know, we do have to, there's an infrastructure play here around whether it's recharging for electric or it's hydrogen recharging. We recently did a fireside chat where we had the three sort of main players in this, three of, three of several, but, but three. We had Autocar, Lion Electric, and... Um, Vaughn out of Germany, and all of them are producing something. Autocars, the CNG, Lions, the battery electric vehicle, and then Vaughn's doing PEV and fuel cell. And they're all big believers. This is inevitable. It's happening. Garbage will be there, and the bigger issue is just cost and hours of service. Well, it's happening. That's awesome. And then, Michael, I know you've been asked if coal ash will be a PCB or an asbestos play. Can you talk about that? What does that mean when I say PCB or asbestos? So, so 30 years ago, both of those topics were on the forefront of everybody's mind because of the, the amount of discovery of and the negative consequences of its existence. What occurred is a realization that there was more harm being done trying to remediate for asbestos um, so that when it became friable and you were pulling it out, you created such small particulate and it got airborne and there was no way to reliably assure you could capture it. And it, 
it wasn't a dollar issue. It was a true the physical limits of being able to successfully remediate a building and pull it out and then replace it. So it didn't play out the way it was expected to when it, all the rules were passed. Where PCBs, it was a gift they kept them giving for almost 30 years um, with billions of dollars spent in everything from taking old electric transformers and managing the PCB liquids that were in them to cleaning up around industrial and sites and lakes and rivers and streams that had PCBs in the sediment, you know, with the biggest being the GE cleanup of the Hudson River. You know, they spent, recollect correctly, several billion dollars alone. So that's what we think coal ash will prove to be. And underlying that assumption that really carries this is that the state's and there's like 11 states where most of the coal ash is generated and where these ponds or lagoons exist, um, where the coal-fired utilities are. And we generate about 110 million tons a day. Um, and I don't think that number changes meaningfully over the next 15, 20 years. It might come down a little bit, but not meaningfully. Even with migration and climate and what have you, I don't think you're going to see that massive amount of retirements because we don't have a plan for what you're going to replace it with. In, in play, and, and you can't replace it that fast. But where I was going with this, the states and the utilities have all agreed on a plan. But most importantly, the states or the public utility commissions have agreed rate relief will be approved. And while the current consumer may be crowing, why am I paying for this? The reality is that 70 years ago, if we had figured out that we didn't want to do ponds and lagoons you'd have been putting in rate relief for line landfills and what we're doing today then. So this was going to get rate relief, and that's why everybody's kind of figured out we got to allow rate relief. Once you got that, that virtually assured this is going to happen because now the utilities will go do what they do very pragmatically, programmatically. You know, They'll walk a plan out over a 20-plus year period of this all happening. And you're starting to see awards being made and on bigger scales with longer timelines. They're not, you know, aren't these one, two, and three-year contracts being released? They're, you know, eight, 10, 12-year contracts and a real commitment to a cleanup process. Most of this is going to be clean and close, not tap in place, which just makes it a bigger business opportunity because it's more expensive to do clean close. But in the process, you're going to beneficially reuse some of that ash, where does it get used? It's in the cement industry. It's a raw, raw material replacement and a meaningful cost reduction. Um, and so that you know, all has positive long-term environmental consequences too. Definitely. And the play there is a small little company called Chara Solutions, which is little. It's a couple hundred million dollar market cap, but it's a pure play in coal ash. Waste management has a nice business. We estimate it's 50, 60 million in revenues. They talk about it a lot. It's an area of incremental growth is pretty good. Um, but you could see other, uh, more of the, probably the industrial waste side as the remediation side starts to play itself out. You know, they, they're good at that type of work. Um, could they have a role in, in some of the remediation work? Thank you for that overview. 
And then I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I know you're a humble guy, but the NWRA has said that your decades of consistent and helpful guidance um, has led you to be inducted into their Hall of Fame. And so it's amazing, but yet not unexpected. So has it sunk in that you're up there with some of the most legendary waste icons we've seen? Oh, I pinch myself every time somebody asks me about it. Um, Humbled. so if you go to the NWRA's website, there's a Hall of Fame place, and they and they they have every year you can click on a year and it opens up and it shows you who was inducted that year, and I, and then you get to the bottom of the list and there's a consolidation year. But you start looking at who's in the Hall of Fame, and your words are the right words; they're legends because they're people who had great influence on the direction that this industry's taken over the last 50 years. And what a neat opportunity to be part of that club. I mean, it's just, I, 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 I cannot express enough how humbled I am. And for Don Slager and Ryan Bales and the team there for sponsoring me through this process, I, I cannot appreciate say enough Thanks for that. I was flabbergasted when I got the phone call, and it's just—it's a neat feeling and a cool club to be part of. Oh, it definitely is, and so well deserved. So, thank you for the work you're doing, and I'm glad that you're being recognized for it. Well, thank you. That's awful kind of you. It's—you it, it, know—it's an—it's truly is an honor because uh, it's—it's an industry. There are people in this industry that if I landed in some part of the world and, and, and I was in trouble, no matter what it was, they wouldn't ask anything. They would just ask, where am I? And they'd come get me. <laughs> that's who this industry is. Oh, and you can see yeah, it in 2020. It. I mean, you know, look, look what happened. I mean, you know, it's 5 6% increase in the total trash generated in the home. Um, you know, we had an industry that, you know, radically changed contract terms to help small business survive the fecklessness of political decisions to shut our economies down. We clearly have learned we shouldn't have shut economies down. We should have figured out movement restrictions and all that, but got to make an economy grow so people can thrive and feed their families. Look what the garbage industry did all the way through that. And it's, you know, it, it showed up every day. No interruption. The the private marketplace showed up every day and did its job. With the uncertainty of risk and everything, they did their job, and and the companies did right by their employees on multiple levels, public and private again, between the PPE and the the either waiving paid time off issues or granting families the, the leave to deal with their own family issues related to exposure, all of those, they just responded in a way that makes you proud to be part of it. It really does. And like you said, this past year, I mean, between these companies putting safety first, like you said, for their own employees and then looking out for these small businesses where they they weren't writing them off, they weren't following up, you know, with bills or anything else. They they changed it to suit them. And they all hoped that they would all come back and they supported that and just, I mean, that's salt of the earth, and you're right. That's what this industry is. And you opened with how's the year end. Year ended really well because you know garbage's role in 
providing a lifeline to small business cannot be trivialized. And and while this is you know one to three percent of a small business cost, you know on the margin, having that extra dollar to be able to stay alive long enough to be able to reopen, and you're seeing it in the fourth quarter numbers. So garbage deserves an applause for they're part of why this economy is still on its feet, without question. I agree, and and a positive of the pandemic is really highlighting these frontline workers as well. I just love that it elevated this whole industry to sort of the masses, right, the, in a way that it hadn't before. So that's fantastic, too. Yes, and, you know, and it starts with the humor of, of all of the things that got thrown away in the end of March and April because you're all at home. And, you know, again, the garbage industry is just sort of okay. And and you ended up with this relationship with your local garbage man as they pulled up and you'd managed to put things on the curb. They're like, really? You want me to take that? But they took it. <laughs> yep. Yep, and continue to, and, and it's amazing. Uh, well, Michael, it's always so good to talk with you, and thank you so much for all of these insights. We unpacked so much that I think I'm going to have to listen to this again to get the full effect. So thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule, and and again, for the work that you're doing, and congrats on, on your award. Thank you, Liz. And, and like I said, it's an honor, and this is a great industry. The, the, the people in it are, are truly friends. They're just not business colleagues. So thank you very much, and thank you for asking me. Awesome. And keep in touch. Can't wait to hear how 21 and beyond goes. Will do. Thank you. 